All right, so we're going to be talking about, <laughs> I can't, well, I'll, I'll tell you, we're going to be talking about dysfunctionality, denominationalism, division, and dirty bathwater, our race, religion, and relationship problem, and a way forward. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're going to get some things started, though. First, um, um, I need to talk some pre-stuff, so let, let, let's get some pre-stuff out of the way. First of all, I have more questions than answers. So uh, if, you, if you wanted to come here to expert, you missed him. He, <laughs> he left about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm a guy with a whole lot of questions. Um, secondly, I hope for us to have conversations and interactions, so expect for us to talk and for us to move a little bit. Uh, I, 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 I didn't come here to, to lecture you the entire time, even though I have some stuff I'm going to be saying. Um, but there's going to be some times we're going to be moving and you're going to be talking to me, I'll be talking to you. We'll have a conversation um, as opposed to, to me just telling you a whole lot of stuff. Next, I hope to inspire thinking and actions through love, relationships, friendships, and fellowship. Just FYI, I think that is the way forward. I think that is the solution um, to the race, religion um, 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 problems, um, relationships problems, is that love, relationships, friendships, and fellowship is the way forward. Um, you, you can't really move forward um, if you don't know each other and you don't learn to love one another. And finally, I love you with an imperfect love. Um, I do love you. Um, but if you expect my love to be Jesus' love, you're going to be super disappointed. <laughs> so I'm going to love you the best I can. But, you know, if you want to hold me to some standard that I'm not even going to try to meet, that's your bad. All right. Uh, and ain't no way we're going to finish. <laughs> I got so much stuff. I, I mean, I was studying this stuff, and I ended up down this long rabbit hole of stuff. And so we're just going to go until we finish, and then when we're done, we'll just be done. Here, here's the two-day plan. Here's what I plan to do. I plan to develop a platform. That's what I'm going to do for the first part of our session today. So it'll be a lot of me talking, um, a lot of me speaking. So we're just trying to give us kind of a springboard. I'm kind of starting with the solution before we really look at the problem. Then we're going to discuss some problems. Um, that's going to be a big bulk of what we do. Um, after that, we're going to devise a plan. Yes, in two days and under two hours, we will leave here with a plan to change the world. Okay. <laughs> and then we're going to devote some time to prayer and praise. That's the plan. <laughs> so whether or not we get to it all, I don't know. But that is the plan. All right. So we're going to start with the biblical foundation. Uh, um, this may be a little preachy. Uh, I don't apologize for being preachy. Hence, a preacher. You say, yeah, I just, you'll learn. I don't apologize for being me. I don't expect you to be anything other than you. If you don't like the me that I am, blame God. He made me. If I'm doing wrong, he's all right with it, unless it's sin. <laughs> then he's not. <laughs> Please stand for the reading of the word. Um, I was debating on whether or not to, to, to go back into the Old Testament or to the New Testament, and so I decided to go into the Ecclesiastes book. The Bible says two are better than one 
because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I want you to help me just a little bit. Um, um, look at somebody close to you. Just find somebody close to you. Look them right in the eye. Just find somebody. Look them just right in the eye. And say, I need you. I need you. Wait a minute. Look at them again and say, guess what? Tell them, guess what? You need me too. Oh, they, don't, they didn't believe you? Well, look at them right now and say, quit tripping. Yes, you do. <laughs> you may be seated. When someone goes his own way and does his own thing, he is often called a Lone Ranger. He is named after the Lone Ranger, a fictitious hero of radio, television, and comic books. The interesting thing about the Lone Ranger is that he did not stand alone. He had his faithful Indian companion, Tonto. I know that's not politically correct. Just, just go with it. Tonto as his partner. Even the Lone Ranger had a partner. This passage in Ecclesiastes reminds us that two are better than one. Two are better than one. Christians need to have other Christians as their partners. We are not to stand alone. Two are better than one. That's Christians. That, that's, that's regardless of where you're from, how you were raised, what skin you were born in. We need one another. The book of Ecclesiastes is the sad sequel to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs primarily consists of wise sayings. Um, Solomon teaches his children, young men and young women, that they may live godly and peaceful lives. Uh, many people have called the book of Proverbs a, a, a discipleship book for young people. But in Ecclesiastes, Solomon laments the fact that he has played the fool and failed to take his own advice. It's almost like Proverbs is, is Sunday school. You know, you come to Sunday school and you learn all the good stuff you should do and you, you really study all these wise sayings. And, and Ecclesiastes is when the preacher comes in and fusses at you for not doing the stuff you learned in Sunday school. Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 reads, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanities. Ecclesiastes is a sermon that warns us not to waste our lives on worthless things. Ecclesiastes is a book about purposeful living. And this core passage here tells us that in order to live purposefully, we're going to need relationships. Our texts are part of Solomon's time of being significant and, and showing his spiritual priorities. It's instructions on living a meaningful life. Solomon teaches us that in order to live a life that counts, you must learn to value relationships over possession. I say you must learn to value relationships over possessions. I say people are more important than stuff. And that if stuff, regardless of that stuff is, is religious stuff, or if you have stuff that's more important than people, 
Solomon would say you're missing the point of Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes, our passage here, is, is in the middle of two passages talking about selfishness. And it's almost like uh, uh, Solomon uh, was preaching on selfishness and then remembered what he learned in Sunday school. And so in the middle of this, this, this rebuke against being selfish in work and rebuke in being selfish in life and this rebuke, he now, right in the middle, places this thing about, hey, but listen, I want to tell you that the way you fix this thing is, is by getting your relationships right. And I want to say something here also is that relationships always cost. And that if you're not willing to pay the cost for relationships, um, as we used to say back in the day, or really as James Brown also coined, you're just talking loud but saying nothing. Between these two extremes, he's giving us this practical principle. Unfortunately, there are times when, when one is hurt, betrayed, or forsaken by another, when we don't think two is better than one. We think I, I, I do better just by myself. But Solomon does not even address or even acknowledge these obvious contradictions in his stated principle. He simply declares the point and allows it to stand on its own that two are better than one. And I believe the reason he says that is because it's irrelevant whether or not you hurt or not. It doesn't change the principle. You still need somebody else. We play this game, well, you know, I'm, I'm better by myself. No, you're not. And I understand it. I, I mean, I, I've taught this and preached this before, and I'm not going to share my own personal testimony. I usually do at this time. Um, I, we just don't have time. We've got a lot of stuff to do. But believe me, many of us are lonely and hurt. Many of us have been betrayed by folks uh, that, that we trusted, uh, that, that we thought were, had our best interest in mind. And, and, and then all of a sudden we believe that this, this principle here, that two being better than one is not. I, I don't need you anymore, I, you know. I don't need you. Know, we, you know, I, I'm good by myself. Just me and me. That, that's cool. Some of us have been hurt by significant others, um, by intimate partners. And now we're so hurt within ourselves, we don't want to fool with anyone else. Sometimes we have, have problems. Uh, uh, if, if you grew up like me, you, 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 you have problems because you, you've been, been uh, uh, treated wrong because of your race. And you say, oh, well, well, because of that, I don't need white folks. I don't need folks calling me out of my name. I don't need, you know, groups of white guys jumping on me trying to beat me down. I don't need none of that, so I just stick on my own kind. But Solomon doesn't even address that. Solomon says, regardless of all of that, two is better than one. This is a countercultural principle. In a society like ours that celebrates rugged individualism, the power of one, Many people worshipfully worship their privacy. And it's, it's a trip because, you know, <laughs> if many of you grew up, I grew up in the old church. I'm an old school church preacher. I'm an old school church of Christ guy. I like wearing suits and ties. Again, if you don't like it, that's what I do. Thank you very much. So, when I was younger, we would have, uh, uh, and we still do it where I preach, we would have at, at the end of the sermon, we have what's called the invitation. And when you would have the invitation, people would come to the front, and they, they would then immediately quote the Pledge of Allegiance of the Church of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I have sinned. I have repented of my sins. And I pray to the church that I can be a better and stronger Christian. Well, 
And what had happened was they felt that was all right because I had confessed. Well, no, actually, what you did was just let everybody know what already. We all came in with that. We literally all could have stood up and said that. You didn't confess anything. What you did was you just assuaged your own filth of guilt. When really this idea of confession really was to come out and say, you know, I'm still struggling with pornography. And I need some help. Or you know what? My wife left me yesterday because she got tired of me beating her. Oh, yeah, we can't go there. And that's why we never get help. Because because we believe one is better than two. But no, we need one another. Can't worship privacy. Two is better than one. I can't be able to help. I can't keep holding myself accountable. I need some accountability, right? I need somebody to help me. Somebody said today, uh, one of my friends said today as she walked in, she said, you lost some weight. I said, thank you very much. Yes, I did. I lost about 70 pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got about 60 to go, but amen, I lost 70. <laughs> yes, yes. But I only bring that up is because of, of what I'm doing. I'm not going to give you the whole spiel of what I'm doing, but part of what I'm doing, I need meetings. I need meetings. And the reason I need meetings is because I need accountability. I don't know if my situation uh, fits the, the classical definitions of addiction, um, but I need meetings. I need to go each week and so, let, have somebody say, dude, have you been sticking with your caloric plan? Did you drink your water? Have you been working out? Because right now, I got one. Got my fitness pal that I keep, and it's awesome, but it's still just me. So now I've, I've leveled off because they canceled my meetings. So now I'm plateauing. I'm, I'm eight pounds up, five pounds down, three pounds down, nine pounds up. To y'all that don't, don't have a lot, a lot of weight, that seems like a whole lot. But for those that are of us that are big, we understand that's not really a whole lot. That's kind of how we fluctuate. <laughs> and, so, and so suddenly we, we're dealing with this because I need meetings because two is better than one, right? I, I don't need to worship my privacy. I need to come out and let, let somebody see my stuff so I can be all accountable. And so the redemptive power of fellowship can, and relationships and love can be applied to my issues. And that's, that's regardless of whether or not I'm black, white, blue, brown, uh, polka dot, plaid, Martian, Venetian, whatever. I need help. And the church needs help. In creation, the first thing God said was not good was the fact that the man was alone. First thing. You know, he makes the sun and the separation of light. That's good. You know, water and land, that's good. Foliage and beasts, that's good. Roaches. Everything that creepeth upon the face of the earth. <laughs> that's good. Oh, and when he, when he made man, that's, this is very good. First time he says it's not good. It's just not, not good for man to be alone. Notice, he did not say it was, it was not good for man to be lonely. That's not what he said. Sometimes you need loneliness. But God had put man in this garden to do something. Purposeful mission. 
And it's not good to be alone. And so he said, I'm going to make somebody help him because it's not good. Are we cool? In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, Solomon gives four reasons uh, why two are better than one. And we're going to look at those in a minute. But it's interesting how we are so frustrated with our lives, but refuse to hear God on the power of fellowship. Fellowship has been reduced to a special time or a certain place when fellowship is the very core of discipleship. I say fellowship is the very core of discipleship. I say you can't be a disciple without fellowship. In the book of John, he gives us three marks of discipleship. In John 8, uh, that, that first mark there, he, he says that first mark is to, uh, 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 if you continue in my word, you are my disciple. The third mark in John 15 and 8, uh, by this shall you know that you are disciples if you bear much fruit. And that second one in John 13, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love, not just love, it doesn't stop there. Well, I'm a loving person. That's not what he said. He says, if you have love one to another, see, if I have love one to another, then I am a disciple. That's how people will know I am. The idea is that if I don't have some type of love that is noticeable, because remember he says, by this shall people know. So it has to be a love people can't see. It can't be my private love. It has to be a, a, an open love, a vibrant love, a love based in, in overt fellowship. By this shall all men know. It's very interesting. The very core of discipleship is fellowship. And we have dismissed it. It's you and I. It's us. We have made optional what God has made mandatory. Fellowship in Christ is an intentional elevation of the blood of Christ's relationship over other relationships. It's, it's more powerful than family. It's more powerful than racial identity. It's more powerful than local geography. The blood of Jesus Christ gives us a fellowship deeper than that. It is a fellowship characterized by terms such as brethren, body of Christ, household of God, communion, army, vines, branches. It isn't an accidental nor incidental relationship of similarities or compatibilities or common interests. Uh, let me tell you something else. Our similarities, compatibilities, common interests are irrelevant. Our relationship in Christ transcends those simplistic definitions and is rooted in an ontological reality greater than physical birth. For we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. This suggests that our relationship in Jesus uh, is of more value and is not quantifiable by human tech terminology. Even heaven found it difficult to value what, Je what Jehovah was doing with, through Jesus Christ. Who, who, who can we find to, to make this thing happen? Let me look above the earth. Let me look in the earth. Let me look under the earth. It, it was hard even for heaven to get this thing right and until they found it in Jesus. See, it's irrelevant whether or not we are compatible. We don't have to be compatible to be in fellowship. It's, it, it's irrelevant whether or not we have common interests. 
This relationship is different. It's deeper than common interest. It's, it's deeper than, than us having similarities. You look like me or I look like you. It's deeper than that. This fellowship is supposed to transcend all of that. And I, you know, folks, it's funny because I'm, I'm in this series at, at home and I, and, I, and I told the church, I said, listen, <laughs> most of y'all don't like what I like. At home, okay, here's what, okay, let me tell you some of the things I like to do. I like to read books, fantasy novels, 1,500 pages. Robert Jordan, gotta love him. Anybody want to come read with me a couple of days? <laughs> but you don't have to. We don't have to have common interests. I'm a Lakers fan. That's right. Bad, good, I'm. Well, I don't like the Lakers. So? You don't have to like the Lakers for us to be in this level of relationship. Listen, about the only thing that, that could possibly take you out of this relationship is if you're a Celtics fan. That, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Even, even, if, even if you've lost your mind and you're a Celtics fan, this relationship is deeper than that. And when you start, you say, well, why am I setting this up and doing all, taking all this time? You know, you, 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 you're almost halfway through your, your time. Why are you taking all this time? Because this is the solution, brethren. This, if we don't get this, all of us, all of our fancy stuff, our throwing money at stuff, our, our getting together for, for cookouts and, and, and coming over and doing that, it's irrelevant. This is what the enemy can't defeat. All that other stuff, the enemy can destroy all that stuff. Unless, you say, well, we all love to eat. Yes, yes, we do. But if I come to your house, I'm going to get in trouble with my wife that night. If I come to your house, and I'm probably the only person that hates this, <laughs> and, and, and you serving green bean casserole, <laughs> you say it's delicious. No, it's not. You only like it because your mama said it was good and she made it. <laughs> So we, we having one another's back, regardless of other stuff. It's not to be based on our mood or whims or feelings. I could not stand you and still be in this level of fellowship with you. Oh, let me get deeper. You could betray me. Oh, let me get, make it deeper. You could go to the chief priest and elders sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. You come to my crib for dinner, I'll get on my knees and wash your feet. That's how deep this fellowship is supposed to be. That's our standard. Not whether or not we're cool or not. We're not going to always be cool. Well, you know, we're supposed to be nice. Some people just aren't nice. So if a person's not nice, they can't be in this fellowship. They got to front like they're nice, put on a nice face around you in order for us to purposely do what God put us here for. 
Now, if nice can break fellowship, think about our dysfunctionality, our denominational ideologies, our divisions, our tendency to elevate stuff over other stuff. Let's look at the text a little bit. All right. All right. Now, usually when I do this, I have handouts. Pretend you do. <laughs> First, and we're going to go kind of fast to this. Together we prosper. The principle is simple. Two is better than one. The assumption is, 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 that, is that we understand this and that we take it at face value. Secondly, togetherness produces success by dividing the work and multiplying production. If two work together, everything goes better. If we can get together. And it's tough. Can I, can I tell you that? It's tough. It's tough. When you're really trying hard, and you want somebody to help you out, and they won't help, and you start saying, you know what? I just handled my dog on stuff. Yeah. It happens. All right. Next. Together, we're protected. Together, we're protected. Protection will come when our fall comes. Watch. Here's what the Bible says, verse number 10. For if they fall, one will lift him up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. We get protected. See, together we have protection. And I'm going I'm to, I'll say some more about it later, but I, I just want to kind of run through this text a little bit. Togetherness provides support. We got help. The fact that we don't believe this, this first principle, is the reason many of our churches are dwelling to nothing. Listen, I tell you, I'm an old school church Christ guy. I believe in congregationalism. I do. I believe in church autonomy. I do. I don't believe, though, that you're no longer my brother or that all of a sudden you have some new mission because you are at a different congregation. And then all of a sudden, it's cool if you die as long as we don't. Because that's what we do. We'll, we'll let the church cross, cross town. Uh-huh. Come on now. You, you don't, don't make me go home with y'all. I know we got some COC folk up in here who know what I'm talking about. The church across town, we'll let them just die out. As long as we're all right. Yeah, but if we were together... We've got help. Togetherness prevents slipping. Slipping. Well, I grew up in Compton, and a lot of you grew up in, in the urban centers. You have this statement just like we did. We say, don't get caught slipping. Anybody know what that means? <laughs> that means don't be by yourself when something violent happens. <laughs> don't get caught slipping. You see, many of us who grew up like me, if we go into a restaurant, we always sit facing the door. Come on with it, bruh. Come on with it, bruh. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because we don't want to get caught slipping. If something happened, you know, if, if, we can, if we can fight, then we can go. But if not, we want to be out. And if you sit with your back to the door, you yum, 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 yum. Don't get caught slipping. If you got two, one can always watch the other's back. And when you fall, and you will fall, 
his text presupposes falling. It's, it's crazy. It, we we, we kind of have this false perfectionism that, that somehow because we were the church and, and therefore we won't have problems and, and we won't have catastrophes happen. Brethren, it's not, it's not true. And if you're not falling today, your time's coming. I grew up the Figueroa Church of Christ. When I was growing, there were 2,000 members. Three service running at, uh, at the same time every Sunday. We have what we call the main service, where most of the adults and young adults were, the older adults and young adults. We have what we call junior worship, where we had 20 buses and 12 vans going through the city, picking up kids from all over, all over the city. And so we'd have six to 700 uh, um, kids from the community. We had a primary worship where all the little kids were, today you'd call it a children's Bible, you know, all the fancy names. We just call it primary worship, run at the same time. Today, now my home church, my good friend there, Vincent Hawkins, amazing preacher is there, and they are, they're doing some recovery things now, but it's nowhere near 2,000. It was a shining bright light of our brotherhood for a while. Dr. Arnold Hogan, who I think is maybe the best preacher to ever walk the face of this planet, was a preacher. I mean, it was just a vibrant place. You say, well, that's sad, man. It's, you know, wow. No, what I'm telling you is that it doesn't matter how good you are now, everybody falls. But when you have brethren, if we're brethren, you have somebody to help you up. You get protection when your freeze comes. He says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? I know because <laughs> I know what you're thinking already. This ain't talking about sex, y'all. I know you because I see your little minds working. You, you have to think about the context of these people. These people walked everywhere, and they walked miles and miles and miles, and sometimes they walked late at night, and it would get very cold. And you had to make a choice. If it was you and your friend, it was either freeze or snuggle. Should never be mentioned again. <laughs> but the point is, sometimes we need somebody close to us because your freeze is coming. Protection when our fight comes. And just FYI, we're always in a fight as a church. We have an enemy, an indomitable enemy, who, 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 is, who never lets up. When our fight comes, we need two more than one. He says, no man fight, might prevail against one who is alone. Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We're vulnerable when we're alone. Many of our churches are dying because we're alone. Because we're alone. Character counts in the fight. Now, I have a lot of notes here I'm, I'm running through because I, I know my time is going and I've already been threatened by somebody whose name will not be mentioned. <laughs> character counts in a fight I want to tell you about two guys both these guys were disciples of Jesus Christ both these guys were taught by Jesus both these guys walked with Jesus guy number one his name was Judas now Judas was with Jesus chosen by Jesus but when things got bad when times were rough Judas 
chose Judas. Thomas. They called him Doubting Thomas. I don't know if he's really doubting. He's more like pessimistic Thomas. I mean, really, you know, because he was always like, Jesus, like, you know, we're going to go to Jerusalem and we're going to die. Thomas was like, dude, really? We're going to die, dude? All right, then let's go. But I just want to let you know, this wouldn't be my plan. That was Thomas. When, 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 when Jesus came back after the resurrection, people say, you know, G- Thomas doubted Jesus. I don't know if Thomas really doubted Jesus. Thomas doubted them. Because remember, Thomas missed night service. <laughs> Just FYI, that's <laughs> missed night service, you know, come back to God and say, hey, night service was popping, man. Jesus was there. Jesus was there. Really, we saw the holes and everything. Jesus was there, dude. I tell you what, until I put my finger in the hole and my hand in the side, I don't believe. Not I don't believe Jesus. I don't believe y'all. Here's the difference when stress was on, though. Thomas didn't choose Thomas. Thomas chose Jesus. See, when you're in a fight, character counts. And sometimes the fight it was, is, what, is what defines and demonstrates the character. You want to know the, the character of the Church of Christ? See what we do when we got to fight. Not the little squabbles we have, you know, me and Jeremy, we, you know, we doing a thing. No, 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 no. When it's time to throw blows. And Jeremy needs my help. Do I choose me? That's what no. If you want to know who we are, the real question, who are we choosing now? That's the only real question. We're victorious together. Together we can do this stuff. Together. And I'll have to like you. You don't have to like me. It's not about like. It's about getting this mission done. You know, let me tell you something. You know, let me tell you one of the scariest things in the world. One of the scariest things in the world is a Navy SEAL. Oh, man. Those are some scary dudes. I, I'd rather have, you know, like the mafia after me or something. Because the Navy SEALs, they ain't playing, man. You know, you know, you, you say, well, I'm going to get in the water. He's like, I'm going to fight him. You, know, you can't get away from those dudes. Those are just, they like ninjas or something. Let me tell you something scarier than a Navy SEAL. Ten Navy SEALs. That's how the church is. The church of Christ, yeah, yeah. When we, when we write, oh, we some scary people. For real, for real, though. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, you know, blood-bought, <laughs> scripture-quoting, Bible-toting, Holy Ghost-filled, founded on G- Yeah, we some scary people. But when, when somebody catches by ourselves, we can be overcome. When we're fighting so much that we don't support one another. But if we can get together, regardless of race or history, we can do something great. The threefold chord, he says, is hard to break. And what I wanted to do, but I knew I wasn't going to have time, I wanted to like bring everybody some thread. And let everybody break the thread. 
then let you braid, uh, let, let you braid three pieces of thread together and try to break it to demonstrate this. But I couldn't, so just pretend like you did. And right now, the proper, appropriate response is like, oh. Let's do a little group work. Um, let's do a little group work. Now, I got some, um, I got some Jesus on our team stuff for tomorrow, but not today. Today, I'm going to start talking about the first part. Now, that's the solution, y'all. That's the solution. We got about 20 minutes left. That's the solution. Fellowship, unbreakable bonds. That's the solution to our race problem our relationship problem, and our religious problem. Listen, hey, I tell you, I'm old school Church of Christ. Church of Christ on a building name. <laughs> I'm that dude. Acapella music. I'm that guy. Don't call your preacher rhythm. <laughs> I'm that dude. But guess what? That doesn't make you not my brother because you're not that person. Because you, you, cause you're not on that page, all of a sudden we got to fall out and fight. Listen, we got a world of folks that need to go to heaven. They're going to be lost while we're fighting over whether or not you want to call me pastor or not. It's ridiculous. We can't, we can't decide that one is better than two because we have some religious issues with one another. So I want to talk a little bit about dysfunctionality. And I, and I will let you all know, this is what took me down the rabbit hole because I see a lot of dysfunctionality in our churches, and us as a, as a group of churches, in the same way I see a lot of dysfunctionality in my own group of people. And I, so I started studying a lot about um, African-American dysfunctionality, and this rabbit hole is way deep. So, yeah, I, I won't be giving you all of that stuff because it started to freak me out too, but you, it may come up. Let's talk a little bit about dysfunctionality. There's a prevailing thought that, uh, that black families are dysfunctional. Dysfunctionality is abnormal or unhealthy interpersonal behavior or interaction within a group, family, uh, group of family dysfunction, um, not being able to function in a healthy way. And so a lot of folks think that you know, black families are dysfunctional. Something wrong with y'all. Why y'all act like y'all act? Don't you see the sidewalk? Why you got to walk across the grass? What's wrong, John? And the people on the screen, they can't hear you. Why are you screaming on the, at the movie screen? What is wrong with y'all? Yeah. Yeah. We got issues, but we the only ones. <laughs> Let's look at eight common characteristics of a dysfunctional family. This is not mine. This is a psychologist said. I'm not a psychologist, so if this is wrong and you're some psychology major, blame him or her. First, addiction. Addiction. Yeah, yeah black families deal with addiction. 
They do. Not much opioid addiction, though. But addiction. Perfectionism. Yeah, black women generally perfectionism. Absolutely. Especially when I was growing up. Abuse. Man, yeah. Absolutely. Unpredictability and fear. <laughs> yeah. Conditional love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lack of boundaries. Yeah. Lack of intimacy. Yeah. Poor communication. Absolutely. But I got a feeling that you kind of started seeing some of your families up here too. I'm gonna take let's take a look, look at my family. That's my mama. That's me. That's me, my mom, and my daddy when I was just me, my mom, and my daddy. That's me, my mom, my daddy, and my brother Rudy. Now, if y'all seen Rudy, he's like 6'5 now. But back then, he was little enough for my daddy to hold him. That's me. My dad's dead now. My mama, my baby sister. I didn't have any cute pics of my babysitter, and so if there was a whack picture, just in case he showed up, I didn't want to put it up. Anyway, that's a happy family. That's me and my brother <laughs> in the 80s. 80s, well, 80s and 90s. I look pretty good. <laughs> and so does my baby brother. My baby brother, he's, my baby brother is similar to my son, is that they like older women loved him. All these old women are like, dude, somebody grandmother, stop it. This is me. I met my beautiful wife. Yeah. I met her. Uh, I say I met her at, 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 in singing on tour in Harlem. She says she met at the youth conference. I kind of split the difference here. Yes, that is a Lakers shirt. It's a Lakers shirt with Kareem with his finger up. Yes. This is us dating. At Southwestern Christian College, when she was running for uh, Miss what? Miss Sophomore? <laughs> you look beautiful. Stop it. <laughs> this is us getting married. Aww. Yes. <laughs> this is us after 30 years of marriage. Day one. Day 10,950. Yes, I am your lucky man. She is gorgeous. She looks better now than she did when I married her. She's just beautiful. So we had two kids. That's my daughter, Destiny, and my son, Faith. But they didn't stay cute and little. They're still pretty cute, though. They didn't stay that day. They grown now with their gorgeous mama. So now my daughter is dating some guy I think is going to marry her. He's a good kid. He got issues. But who doesn't? He's going to find out so does she. Here's my son. He's, he's married now. That's his beautiful wife. <laughs> That's my grandson. 
my, my dad is Faith. My, great, my, my grandfather was Faith Senior. My dad was first Faith Junior. I'm Faith the Third. My son is Faith the Fourth. And that's Faith the Fifth. They call him Super Cinco. <laughs> that's my man. I miss him already. That's my family. Yeah, that's my family. Black family. We didn't look like terrorists to me. This is a regular old family. We had issues and we had problems, like everybody else. But just a regular old family. Well, the prevailing idea of dysfunctionality in the American family. You, now you say, well, was your family dysfunctional? Depends on who you ask. Not to me. To me, it was just family. The prevailing idea of dysfunctionality in the African-American family is often perpetuated because others, mostly in other cultures, control the narrative. They are able to control the narrative because of power, position, financial resources, and deeply ingrained systemic controls. Others are telling the story. This also continues to be further exacerbated and perpetuated by African-American um, historical memory loss. Don't know where we've come from, who we are, and thus not where we're going. Self-hate, alienation, blurred self-image, historical trauma, distrust of those who control the resources, and a pathological, sociological soul displacement as a result of slavery and other things. Then African-Americans begin to repeat the same narrative African-Americans begin to tell the story as if it originated with them. They tell the story as if it is something more done by them as opposed to something done to them. Much of this dysfunctionality is a myth, as much as it really, as it is also reality. But it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy because it is now not just a story which is told, but also a story which is believed. But not just a story which is believed, but also a story which is lived and repeated in, in a reality show type vibe that ain't really a show. It's a, caricature of, it's a caricature of a fabricated idea that has sprung to life because it is done over and over and over again. And suddenly, it has become the brand of African-American family. I believe this is what has happened to Church of Christ. I believe we have so believed negative narratives that we de demonstrate historical memory loss. Don't know where we come from, who we are, and thus not where we should be going. Self-hate. Many of us, even saying Church of Christ is a problem for us. Alienation. Blurred self-image. Historical trauma. Distrust of those who control the resources, and a pathological, sociological soul displacement as a result of slavery to legalism and over-dependence on being right. And I see it just manifesting in itself. And then we start, instead of it just being a story, it becomes our reality, and we like living in a Church of Christ sitcom. Or over and over again, we keep repeating the narrative, repeat, repeating the narrative, we keep repeating it. But there needs to come a time when we start having some narrative control. 
My family wasn't perfect. We had have several issues. Just FYI, my dad was alcoholic. Alcoholism killed my father. And he was violent. So we had problems. But I bet your family does too. But I tell you what, just pretend like certainly is, is, is spelled correctly. <laughs> we, we most certainly weren't broadcasting it. <laughs> what happens in this house better stay in this house. We'll fix it. We'll handle it. We'll get some help. But I tell you what, I better not go down the street and everybody knows. Was that your family too? Well, the church is the bride of Christ. How many of you have a bride in here? That's why I want to show you guys my beautiful bride. I've got Dave back there. Dave, can you stand up for just a second? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to ask you a question. <laughs> no, I really wouldn't. Now, I'd embarrass you, but just not in this kind of a setting. <laughs> Dave? Has your wife ever made a mistake? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, once or twice. Dave, would it be all right, once I found out about that mistake, to just put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, put it on Instagram, tell everybody I know, every time I see somebody, tell everybody about these mistakes that your wife, would you be cool with that? We'd have issues, wouldn't we? Have a seat, Dave. Thank you. Y'all give Dave a hand. Amen. What makes us think that Jesus is all right with us taking the church, his bride, and every opportunity we get for every mistake she makes to broadcast it as loudly as we can? Does Dave love his wife more than Jesus loves the church? Are y'all following the logic here? All right. Now, we got eight minutes. We'll do more great. If you guys come back tomorrow, we'll do more interactive. But we're going to do a little bit today. So I'm going to need you to move around a little bit. Here's what I want you to do. If you can, just stand up. I know. You feel like you're a Catholic church. Stand up, sit down. Stand up, sit down. Stand up, sit down. You ever, you ever been to a Catholic church? Like, dude. <laughs> Can we just listen to the homily? <laughs> okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a group of seven to eight people and try to mix it up with folks who don't just look just like you. Do it now. You got one minute. Now, if they look like you, it's all right. It's just better if you can kind of mix it up a little bit. Okay, once you get in your group, introduce yourself, tell folks your name, where you're from. 40 seconds. <laughs> Just introduce yourself, tell people who you are, et cetera, et cetera. If you need a group, I'll find you a group. Raise, raise your hand, we'll find you a group.
20 seconds. Introduce yourself and, and smile a little bit. Jeez. Ten seconds. Tell you in a minute. You're supposed to introduce yourself first. How you doing, sir? Good, how are you? I'm well. <laughs> My name is Liz. My name is Faith. That's time. That's all right. That's time. All right. Here's what you're going to do first. Here's the first question you're going to discuss in your group. What ne negative narratives have you heard about African-American families? Wow, you guys were really talking a second ago. <laughs> it's like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> what negative narratives? I'm not saying you believe them. Just what, what, what negative, neg negative narratives have you heard? Discuss it in your group. You have two minutes. Matter of fact, you got one minute. Our time is running away. What negative narrative have you heard? Have you heard? What negative, neg neg negative narratives have you heard? <laughs> 10 seconds. Five seconds. Okay, if you can hear my voice, clap your hands. All right, N number two, number two. Number two, what negative narratives have you repeated about African-American families? What negative narratives have you repeated? It's getting really hard. <laughs> hey, but you only have one minute, so you, you can like kind of just Filibuster for like 30 seconds. <laughs> what negative narratives have you repeated? <laughs> I'll give you guys one. They all beat the kids. Twenty seconds. Five seconds.
If you can hear my voice, clap your hands. If you can hear your voice, my voice, clap your hands. Okay, everybody have a seat. We're going we're gonna to close it out. We're going to close it out. Everybody have a seat. Wait a minute. So at first you couldn't talk. Now you can't shut up. What, what's going on up in here? <laughs> All right. We're going to close. Um, and we're going we're gonna to start here tomorrow. Um, we have some other teachings to do. We're also going to start with some interactive things. Um, bring your friends. Um, it's not my job to make you uncomfortable. I tell you at the beginning, my, it's my job to help you think. Um, I am under no illusion that we're going to spend a couple of, couple of hours together and you're going to change everything about your life. What I want to do, though, is give you an opportunity to think about some things in what I call the lab. See, this is a safe environment. We're just putting stuff out there and talking about it, right? This is not you at a friend's house and something icky comes up. You're like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to say? If one person, because we only have time for one person, can one person share something that was a revelation to them in their discussion or they kind of thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Anybody else? We got about thirty seconds. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, there, there are, there are differences. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, tomorrow we're going to open this up more. Um, um, and believe it or not, <laughs> the class isn't even about that. The reason I wanted you to do that is so you can understand how we can go forward as a church. I'm just using, using my experience, because I'm African-American, as a metaphor uh, of, of what we're doing, of how we can go forward as a church. So when we talk about dealing with race as a church, um, um, it's got to be about the purpose for going forward of God. You, you ain't got to like black folk. I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't. We're awesome. <laughs> but, you, but you really, you say, why do you say, listen, let me tell you something. You may have had some experience that God is still working with you on. I, got, I have a friend, um, his name is Troy. He's in Oklahoma right now. And he grew up in a racist family. He's a white guy. Racist family. His father was a Klansman. So he's still working through some stuff. He was a little boy. You don't just get rid of that because you get, get, get baptized. He, we're still working through stuff. But he's still my friend. I remember one time we were riding along, and um, he, he, was <laughs> he was talking about uh, uh, Japanese cars. And he said, I'm not going to be driving no rice rocket. I'm like, dude, do you know how racist that is? <laughs> he said, you might be, but I'm still not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, so he's got to work through that, right? So now, I, as an African-American, like, really, dude? You know, I could jump in my Malcolm X, you know, <laughs> you know and, like, and, like, withdraw from my brother, or I can decide, you know what, I'm going to pray for you and loving you and try to help you, and you, you can help me, so maybe I can understand you, you because we got work to do. <laughs>